welcome to the What I Wish podcast. My name is Nkechi Aguenu. I chit-chat with other women in my life about childhood experiences and how they shape us as adults. We also dive into other relationships like marriage, parenting, and navigating male-female relationships. I hope you enjoy the conversations. We're getting there. So how are you? Um, all is going good. Yeah, super busy. Staying busy, so that's a good thing. There we go. At least now it doesn't look so bad. I believe you start your day at 7.30. So do you wake up or you start your day at 7.30? Oh, no, I wake up at 4.30. Oh, me too. Do you really? I do. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, I do think we're crazy. Yeah, because it's quiet. So quiet. It's a great way to welcome in the day. Yeah, it is. Are you guys going away on spring break or spring break on summer break? Or are they going to camp or? Yeah, my daughter is camped out. Yes. So she starts, she has a recital the first week of June, the first weekend in June. And then the next day she goes to camp for a week with her friends. And Uh. then she returns and she has dance all of June. And then July, she's at camp all of July. She has cheer camp. She has dance camp. She has regular camp. Yeah. And my son said, I'm not interested. I want to play video games and do nothing else. So. Okay. Okay. Great. Man who knows who, how he likes to relax. Yeah. He was like, he said we put a lot of pressure on them during the school year. So the summer okay. he just wants to rest. Okay. At least he knows what he wants. That's always yeah. helpful. We'll see about that. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to take him too much of your time, but I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad to see you. Yeah, so I'm going to have you go ahead and introduce yourself again. Awesome. All right, sounds great. Um, So my name is Lenore Edwards, and I'm back with you again, so I'm so excited to be here. And the fun things that I get to do, I like to often call myself a mind and life enhancement specialist because I help people get the changes that they want. So whatever changes that they may want in their life, that's what I do in helping them clear away the things that are holding them back and keeping them stuck, which they might not consciously know about. Okay. So what are these things that might, that people might need to clear away? Give me some examples. So sometimes people will say, you know, I want to lose weight or I want to perform better on stage and, and I might want to be a better leader for where I am in my business. And it really is any changes that they want. And they might even say, I can't get motivated. I can't get out of this anxiety or I feel this anxiety constantly. I don't know what to do or I wake up in the middle of the night. So truly, whatever it is, and naturally, as we go throughout life, we want change. We are naturally meant to grow. We are naturally wanting to want what we have and then want more of something else. And that's what my specialty is, is helping people get what they want. So some things that might be holding them back might be whether it's, you know, I want to have more of a intimate relationship with my partner, but I feel very uncomfortable in my body. So it truly can feel whatever it is for them. And I often say, you know, what if it's important to you, it's important to me. And that's where I go because there are certain things that will come up and we'll say, oh, you know, I want to lose weight because, you know, I want to feel healthier. But the block that might be there, maybe it's not safe to be in my body. The last time it was safe to be in my body, bad things happened. Mm -hmm. And it's a subconscious response that we have as to why we're carrying 
the weight that we are, but also why we're feeling and turning away from intimacy when we're with somebody else. So these are things that we don't consciously come up with, but they are within us because they're there to protect us and to keep us safe. Okay. So what is the journey then? So I come to you and that's exactly my issue. I'm not comfortable in my body, but I would like to be more Mm -hmm. intimate with my partner. What -hmm. are the steps that we take? So as I'm talking to my clients and I don't put them in, you know, any situation that they don't feel comfortable in. So as I'm talking to them, I'll say, okay, well, tell me more about that. And as they're describing it, they may actually start to come up with the feeling of it. And it feels really uncomfortable, especially when I'm saying, okay, well, tell me about the last time this happened. And they'll quite literally start going into this memory of when it happened. And as they are, they're having a physical response, as in a a feeling within the body that says, I'm very uncomfortable. I don't like this. And as I'm doing that, I will ask them say, okay, where you're noticing that, tell me more about it. Because what happens is as we have thoughts, we create feelings within our body and it's coded very, very specifically to each person. Hmm. So when I start to ask them questions, I'll say things that are, are very different. Do you notice if this feeling is inside or outside your body? Does it have a weight, a texture, or color associated to it? And what I'm doing is as I'm asking those questions, I'm asking the conscious mind to come in and say, okay, focus on this. And then the subconscious is creating this bridge as to this is how I've coded it in my body. This is where it is. This is where I store it. And this is what the memory is attached to it. And that's a really good thing. It's just that we never learned it. We go through our life and we experience things and our body will, our mind and body, which are connected, even though our culture would have you thinking like, your mind's over here and your body's over here. It's connected. And because it's connected, it's stored it and in a very specific way to each person. So that's why I have this mind-body approach. And I've learned a variety of mind-body tools to help people understand things that they don't understand and it's not their fault that they don't understand it nobody taught them and the reason I learned all this was because I was having major difficulties myself and I didn't know what to do about it I had no clue so why um did you become interested in this I know you have a background as a certified speech language pathologist um, mm-hmm. Then you have other, I guess, a mm-hmm. list of other credentials that you now have that I'm sure supports this. But how did you stumble upon this? Because it's very interesting. I, it's super interesting. I actually was experiencing a great deal of anxiety and I had a very unhealthy relationship with food mm-hmm. and with my body. And I was eating in great excess And I didn't understand why, because consciously you're like, I know I shouldn't be having 14, 15 cookies the size of my palm in a row. Something else is going on. And I just felt this ongoing feeling of something's not right. And it wasn't a situation that I could explain to my friends or family because on the surface, oh, well, you just need to go on a diet. Well, uh, okay. And it wasn't that resolution, aside from the fact that I had understood that thought process for years on end, and it wasn't the resolution. Something else was going on. I was having these really intense feelings 
of, I don't feel worthy. I feel awful. And I was stepping into a cycle on repeat. I would have a binge and maybe I'd exercise. I would have a binge and I would go into this self-hatred so deep that you would be shocked as, as to what things actually come up when you're feeling so inadequate and so not enough. And in looking for my own answers, I started to understand, hey, you're not stupid, Lenora. You just don't understand things that you don't understand. Here, let's start exploring. And the more I started to learn, the more I was able to help myself to some extent. But in looking for those answers, more questions came up. Answers came up, but then more questions came up. And I finally came to this moment as I was getting my second false tooth drilled into my head of, we need to call in more help. Mm -hmm. You can't do this on your own. And I started to work with professionals and, and coaches that were helping me in ways that were helpful for me. I couldn't check out of my life and deal with an eating disorder. And I couldn't check into a clinic and I couldn't go away for a month or, or two months to deal with this. I had to figure out ways to do it in a way that was functional for me, where I could still keep my job and I could keep a roof over my head and, and live my life. And in doing that, that was the greatest decision I've ever come to. And it was incredibly painful to get to that point, but it was a great decision to say, you know what? You're not stupid. You just don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And looking for people that could help me resolve the things that were going on. Yeah. And in that resolution, I understood things can get better. Oh my God. Thank God things could get better. But also it became such an intrinsic, deep, in, inspir inspiring and from your soul, from your core of you need to be doing this. Here is the redirection. This is what you need to be focusing on. So when it comes to communication, I often say I help people communicate externally, but also I help people communicate internally because the voices in your head start to change. When you release these things that are blocking you, you start to change. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing when you start to notice these changes and when you can feel better, period. You can feel better. It's an, it's an entirely different yeah, world. I agree. So how does your um, background as a speech language pathologist contribute to your ability to help clients overcome their communication barriers? And then I'm also curious to know how does that, how does that translate to the internal process that you now have clients go through? Absolutely. So when it comes to communication, we are constantly communicating. We're constantly using language. Now, our language is as in we have words that we're using as we talk to ourselves, but there's also the language of nonverbal communication and how certain things that we experience come into our system and then we feel like we're not enough. So it's a, and I often think about, do you remember the old school phone wires when they, when the operator would answer and they'd say, I'll connect you. I often felt like yeah. all my yeah, wires yeah. were scrambled up and I could not make sense. And they were just mm -hmm. on repeat going to the wrong phone number or they were going to the wrong part within my system. And it wasn't that they were going yeah. to the wrong part. It was simply that they were wired that way as we grow and as we go out throughout life. And, you know, we, unfortunately, little ones don't come with a manual and parents and guardians and, and caregivers are always doing the best that we can. But as we experience life, 
we come to our own understandings. We come to our own solutions of which service at the time, but they don't necessarily service. My thought process as to when I was 10 years old is not the same process, thank goodness, that I have at 20 and 30 years old. I shouldn't think of my body the way that I did at 12 years old, the same way that I do at 30 years old. And sometimes these thoughts are on repeat and they just keep going because nobody rewired it. And when you can rewire the system, you start to truly feel more like yourself and show up in the world the way that you want to without feeling like you're, you're completely a fake or without carrying around this really excessive amount of That's weight. That's a great lead into my next question. So I have a 10-year-old daughter, right? And I'm always trying to be intentional with my parenting yeah. process. So what can I... You and I talked about that. I love that. What can I look for? What signs should I look for to help me help her better understand emotions? Because it's coming, you know? Oh, oh, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And especially because the way we talk to ourselves and the way that we talk outwardly about ourselves is what's picked up by other people. So if you're not, not saying you, but if you're somebody who is very, very critical of yourself and very, very critical of others, that's the environment that children will learn what is going on. Don't eat that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't, 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 don't. And you should really look better. You should, you, that's too tight for you. In that criticism, one may think that they're being helpful. They're pointing out all these things that they shouldn't be doing, but they all, that person also needs to understand that's the world according to them, as in the speaker, not necessarily according to them as the listener. So pointing out things that you love about yourself pointing out things that you're proud of in them and in yourself, noticing that when we talk about ourselves, when we talk to ourselves, we want to talk kindly because it really makes a huge difference. The way that we're communicating to ourselves is, and we want to pass that along, we want to be the mirror. We want to set the example for younger people how to set how to talk to yourself. I'm really proud of this. And and not in a, you know, especially because it can come across as arrogant. I did this today. It's not about I did this. It's I'm really proud of I had a problem at work and I'm proud of the solution that I came up with. I'm really proud that I go for a walk because I love my body and it feels so good to walk around the neighborhood and it feels so good to be outside. And I'm taking care of my body because this is the vehicle that I use to carry myself throughout life. Pointing out the things that you love, especially when you're using, you're setting the intention to point out the things that you love, but you're also supporting it with the vocal component, the kindness that you love yourself and pointing out things that you love about the other people around you or that you enjoy or that you like. It doesn't always have to be love. Things that are pleasurable. The more we point them out, the more these neurons fire and wire together. And that's a really great thing for little minds that are growing to see. And we want to build stronger people in the sense of a strong mindset will lead to strong showing up in the world. And there is a difference between strong as in knocking somebody over and being a narcissist or strong as in 
I have boundaries. I have integrity for myself. I am kind. And that is how I work through the world. If you're going to be nasty to me and I'm going to be kind to you, we're just a mismatch. That's on you. And this is on me. I'm going to go where I am supported, Mm -hmm. where people have strong morals the way that I have strong morals, the people that are talking kindly about themselves the way that I'm talking kindly about myself. And it's a process that we truly evolve through in our life. And especially when we can look at it through as an evolution of ourselves. That is a beautiful thing to be able to see. Perfect. Tell me about examples of clients. So you've had several clients that you've gone through the mind and body transformation with. Tell me examples of how your process has helped some clients transform Mm -hmm. their lives. One client in particular, especially because she had called me and she had said, you know, I I can do certain things for a period of time, but when my anxiety kicks in. I need to, I need all bets are off. And before I know it, I'm in a drive through and I'm having three cheeseburgers. And it's not that that's a bad thing. It's just simply that that individual did not want that for themselves. So in her not wanting it for herself said, okay, well tell me about it. How do you know you have anxiety? And as she's talking to me, I also dabble a little bit in Chinese facial reading and I can see her face starting to shift. I can see certain markers on her face starting to activate and indicate that there is something there. And as she's talking to me, she's starting, her breathing's changing, her coloring's changing. She's telling me where she feels it in her body. And I said, okay, as we're talking, I said, if you can look inside that feeling right now, when was the first time that you felt that? And she landed down, looked around in that conversation that she was in that memory that she was pulling up and she was five years old and she was outside by herself and she was terrified because nobody was around her. And I said, okay. And as I was walking her through some of the processes that I walk people through, we're able to instantly change it and release that memory. And you could see her coloring change. You can see her breathing change. You can see her relaxing and having this release of a block that was there for her. So then when I had asked her a couple of days later, I followed up with her and I said, just out of curiosity, how have you been? And she goes, I didn't want to jinx it. I didn't want to message you and tell you. And I said, okay, how's it going? And she goes, it's been a world of a difference. I haven't had that feeling that came up. And from the stuff that you taught me, I'm now using it on other, in other areas. And I said, that's fantastic. That's exactly what we want. We want people to, to know that the emotions that come up do not make them bad people. Mm. They are simply signals, just like if the light on my dashboard on the car came up, it doesn't make my car bad. It's simply a warning of something I need to take care of. Our emotions are the same thing, especially when they're strong and intense and overwhelming and leading to other behaviors, right. whether it be cutting right. or or what other behaviors that somebody is experiencing. It may be anger going from zero to 90. And the person just simply says, I don't want to be behaving like this. I don't want to feel like this. Great. There is a solution and it doesn't have to always end with medication or it doesn't have to end with you're a bad person. You should know better. It doesn't have to end with shaming and guilting either. I do think medication is a fantastic bridge for people. If that's what they need, great. If people want something else, that's great too. It's not about judgment, especially when my clients come to me and say, you're welcome to share with me whatever you would like. We're not looking at you as the problem. We are looking at a problem and how can we resolve it? 
how can we find solutions? Right. Let's talk about emotional baggage for a minute. So mm-hmm. I've been doing this for over a year now, and I can mm-hmm. tell you that um, I truly believe that the issues we have as adults is really comes from childhood traumas and baggage that we're carrying. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about emotional baggage and mm-hmm. how to mm-hmm. spot early on emotional baggage. And what do you do to help clients mm-hmm. resolve that emotional baggage? So for me, I can, I'll be truly transparent. Mine has to do with my relationship with my mom. I don't, I don't trust her enough to be open mm-hmm. to her being close to me. She's at my house right now. She's going to be with us for three months. And my conversation with her is, hi, good morning. Everything okay? How was the doctor? Mm-hmm. Good. Did you eat? Great. Bye. And the reason for that is because we've had so many instances where the trust is mm-hmm. broken. And I literally refuse to open myself up for more of my trust to be broken. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, I'm just older now. And I wish I wish we did have the opportunity when I was younger to mend things. So I can admit mm-hmm. that I do carry some emotional baggage from childhood and from my 20s that I'm unwilling to let go of. Absolutely. And I love your, your vulnerability and your honesty. So thank you so much for sharing that. When it comes to that, you make it easy. it's not easy. It is not easy. And yeah. I love that you feel comfortable, though, to, to share that. And that's a beautiful thing. When it comes to that, and, and especially with those very deep, early relationships, parents, guardians, grandparents, whomever they may be, these are where people that we come into the world wanting to feel safe and and knowing that we need to feel safe and loved in order to survive. So this isn't something that we consciously know. And when we don't feel safe, subconsciously, we will then understand, okay, this person isn't safe. I need to find ways to protect myself. And that can often show up as people pleasing, as in us learning to be so carefully calibrated as to not make that version of somebody come out. We do this as a form of protection. And it's wildly impressive that we have the innate ability to understand I need to find ways to keep myself safe. These aren't conscious decisions that we're making. These are subconscious decisions. And when those boundaries are crossed, when those violations, when those connections are broken, we learn you're not trustworthy. I know enough that I need to build this internal wall high enough that you can never break it. And I will stand firm on this side, ensuring that you will never break it because that's how much I don't trust you. And one of the most beautiful things that I personally have experienced because I've done a lot of what I like to refer to as inside engineering, um, that inner work is truly a beautiful thing because we all have this small, younger version of ourselves to go and take care of. And these are parts of ourselves. And it's a great, great thing that we have the technology, quite literally, the work that I do, I I consider it a technique and a technology to understand, to go back inward and hold that younger version and let them know they're safe. You, the you of today are here to protect them. Nothing like that will happen again. We know more. We've learned I promise you, you are safe. And quite literally, 
letting that younger version, especially in meditation or just even in your your own mind's eye and in your heart, holding them and letting them know that they're seen, that they're heard, that they're loved, and that you're there to take care of them is so profoundly deep. And in the event that you, you decide to, or anybody listening decides to do this in a meditation, you may have very strong emotional responses. You may find yourself welling up with emotion and that's okay. It is so good to release that because we work so hard to stifle these emotions and we're taught it's bad to cry or don't cry. I'll give you something to cry about. And what do we learn? We learn not to feel it. We learn to find ways to numb it. Eating is a great way to numb your emotion and not in a, in a helpful way, but in doing that in turning that off, we are quite literally stifling our own growth and we're blocking ourselves unintentionally because we were taught it's not safe to feel this. So when you're doing that, especially when you're doing inner engineering or inside work, personal growth work, letting yourself understand that emotions are okay. Allow yourself to cry. Allow yourself to burp. Allow yourself to cough. The body will do all these amazing things that seem very strange, but only because we weren't taught that they're very, very normal and that this is a really good thing. And in doing that, we also learned that we are safe to protect ourselves and that it's safe to have this boundary. It's okay. I still love me. I, I'm okay having this boundary. I see you as you are, and that's okay. I'm letting you be. You had to be this way because of all the things that you went through, and that's okay. I'm still going to take care of me and the things that I feel because that's what I want to do for me. And it's truly a wonderful thing when we can see people as they are and let them be and understand that we can still take care of ourselves. It does not make us bad people. It is most important that we take care of ourselves so that we can then continue to offer help to others. But in doing that, I then get to choose who is worthy and deserving of being in my kingdom and who is also worthy and deserving of staying on the outskirts of my kingdom. And that's a growth process that I had to go through. So part of it for me is just the boundaries, you know, and I have to, I had to make that decision. There are certain people who I maintain a close relationship with and there are some people who I would love you from a distance and I will love you in the way that I believe I should and honor the fact that for her, I'm honoring the things that she is in my life. I can't tell her you can't come visit your grandkids. That's not nice. Mm -hmm. You know, that wouldn't be right. But for me, I had to set up boundaries mm -hmm. that allows us to continue to have some relationship where there very little conflict. And that's a great thing to, to notice that you did that for your own protection and your own safety. And that's a beautiful thing. And it allows you to show up without anger towards other people because you've taken care of you. So I have a question. How can parents, um, what ways can parents convey to their children that they are seen, loved, and heard on a regular basis? That's a yeah. great one. That's a great one. Acknowledging them and telling them that can, when they, especially when they come to, you know, I feel like I'm getting left out. I feel like, you know, they, my friends don't like me acknowledging what they feel and not, no, 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 that's not true. No, you're wrong. No, that's not true. Acknowledge where they are, acknowledge their feelings and awful, offer gentle guidance as to what might that 
What might a good resolution be? What might you want instead? I hear you. I see you. And so quick, we're we're so quick to want to shift their emotion, but let their emotion be there. That's okay. I understand. That's really tough. I had, it hurts. hurts. I've been there too. And just honoring that understanding that they're still good people, that it doesn't make them the problem, the problem. They're not the problem. They simply are feeling a certain way because of an event and to not identify with that event. I didn't get invited to the sleepover. It must be because I'm a bad person or it must be because X, Y, and Z. It simply is. And that's okay. What else can we do instead? What's something else? And allowing them to acknowledge where they are, allowing you to also acknowledge where they are. That's a great thing. That's seeing them, hearing them, and then offering gentle guidance as to what we, what else can we do? And to not brush that emotion off, but to be respectful of it and allow it to process as they need to process it. Yeah. So when I said that's hard, my son's been going through Mm -hmm. um, a couple of weeks, tough time at school with his teacher and it hurt. He's so sensitive. So it just hurts to watch him Mm -hmm. came home and he said, I don't want to go to school anymore because she's just mean to me. And I had a meeting with the teacher. She's not being mean to him. It's just, he likes to be loved. And when, when he's not feeling that love, it's mean, you know, so Mm -hmm. yesterday he came home again and he just told me, well, it was a bad day and I got yelled at. And he, he said certain things and he told me about the conversation he had with the teacher and some of it I'm not okay with, but I have three days of school left. So is it worth me making a big deal out of? No. Mm -hmm. But then talking to him he's like i'm just scared that she's gonna send a bad note home and i'm gonna get into a lot of trouble and my question was what are you doing he's like well she said i'm the loudest in the class and i disrupt her class and i can see that in that he laughs so if something's funny he he will just laugh not knowing not caring that she's in the middle of a lesson but i i do think that her approach Mm -hmm. with him isn't going to work because he's seven. So telling him you're disrupting my class means nothing to a seven year old. Mm-hmm. You know, so yesterday I had to tell him like you're okay, but there is no gentle yeah. redirection or let me see, what term did you just use? Gentle guidance. Like what do I do with that? He's terrified that he's gonna get into trouble and he's like ready mm-hmm. to run out of school. What do I do mm-hmm. with that emotion that he's coming through? Mm-hmm. You know, I love that you acknowledged it and said, well, tell me what's going on rather than, well, you should be listening to your teacher. Tell me what's going on. Tell me your side of it is a great thing. And then also saying you can offer a different perspective. Okay. Well, what's another behavior or what's something else we can do so that we can be respectful of other people. And also, I love that he said, what what are you afraid of? I'm afraid she's going to send a bad note home. And then he might be afraid that he's going to get in trouble, which can definitely trigger very upset feelings depending on, you know, how, how people are within the home. But in noticing, okay, well, I know what you, thank you for telling me what you're doing. We want to avoid having her send a note home. But if she does, I know the truth about you. I know that you are a good person. I know that you love to laugh and I know that you are loved. What we want to do is make sure that we can actually be respectful of other people. So let's find another thing that we can do without having her feel like it's disrupting her class or even when when she's saying you're disrupting the class, 
-hmm. What does that look like? To, To me, it could look like 24 kids are suddenly running around the room. To you, it could look like a few people just, (laughs) to her, it can look like everybody just left the room. So we have different perceptions of what the word disrupting my class looks like. So offering also, okay, well, what do you think it is? Well, here's what I think it is. And looking at it from different angles. Well, I wonder wonder what she thinks it is. What do you think she might make it is? And being able to observe it from this angle and that angle and my friend's angle and my friend's angle will at least offer that thought flexibility in other situations. And that's a good thing too, because it's not right or wrong. It's not one or the other. It is, here's a potential. Here's a potential. Here's a potential. What are some potential solutions to avoid this one? If this one's making you feel really bad, what else can we do? What else might you be okay with? Yeah, I like it. So I have a question for you then. When do you feel the safest and the most loved? Oh, that's a good question. Oh my goodness. What a journey, especially because when you, when you're if in wherever you are in your journey, especially in those moments when you don't feel safe, when you don't feel loved, it is hard to come up with a solution and what that may look like, especially if people are in those moments where they don't feel safe or they don't feel loved. And saying, I feel safe, I feel loved, can be really difficult. How might I feel safe? What might offer me a little bit better of a feeling? When we start to ask questions, when we start Mm -hmm. to use that word might, it changes the perspective entirely because I am safe feels like a lie when you're not safe. How might I feel safe will actually create possible scenarios as to how you can start to maneuver to a different space, to a different emotional space. How might I look at this differently? will allow you to start looking at different perspectives versus this really awful one that you can't seem to break. When you start to change the question, when you start to add the word might, you put yourself back at power. And that's a great thing because we want to feel that we are in control of our own emotions. We want to feel that we are in control of the thoughts that we're having. And when we can start to ask better questions, we start to live a better way. Excellent. I asked this the first time you were on. I'm going to ask it again. What is the best Mm -hmm. lesson you learned from your mother or a mother figure? I'm going to see if it's different. (laughs) Ah, that's a great question because I have not, um, I don't remember what I had had said recently or a couple of months back. I don't recall the exact one. The from mother figure or my mother, um, I would say the best thing that I learned was relentless determination to keep going, to find solutions. And that really is something that has, I didn't realize this until just recently, that has created a lot of resiliency within me because I kept looking for solutions and I wouldn't settle with, well, this is, this is what you get and that's what you get. And I wouldn't settle for that. I wanted to find other solutions that would work for me. I didn't want to be somebody that had anxiety and had an eating disorder for 50 plus years. I could visualize myself on my end of days. And I didn't want to look back and think, my God, I spent 50 years obsessing over food and obsessing over this and obsessing over that. I didn't want that for myself. And in saying that's not good enough for me, I was able to change and find solutions. And I kept looking for solutions. I, when I, when I'd find one and it kind of worked great, it kind of worked and it went in my toolbox. What else do I have? What else can I get? What else can I learn? 
I love it. So you have clients mm-hmm. who come to you for help mm-hmm. and they learn and they their lives are transformed from the help that you've offered. Mm-hmm. What lessons have you learned from those clients or some of those clients? Oh my gosh, they're so inspiring. They're they're just it's incredible to be able to hear how people are doing their absolute best to survive. Thanks for listening to another episode of What I Wish My Mother Taught Me. I learned so much from each guest, and I hope that you've gained some impactful information today. Please review and subscribe to the podcast. Remember that you matter and all that you do impacts someone. Until next week, have a great week.